Hello and welcome to the podcast for the September 2012 issue of The Lancet Neurology. I'm Richard Lane and this month I'm joined once again by Stephen Goodrich from TLN to discuss some of the issue highlights. Welcome Stephen. Well hi Richard. And just to mention that our focus this month is on a review concerning adverse effects of antiepileptic drugs, an interview I did earlier with one of the review authors, Dr. Frank Gillam. But just before that, Stephen, why don't you run through some of the other highlights from the September issue? This is our special epilepsy-themed issue, which has been timed to coincide with the 10th European Congress on Epilepsy, which is being held in London at the end of September. We have four original research articles. The first one's a secondary analysis from the CREST trial, which is looking at rates of restenosis and occlusion after carotid artery stenting and endarterectomy. We have a whole exome sequencing gene identification study, and this looks at de novo mutations in the gene ATP1A3, and that's in patients with alternating hemiplegia of childhood. We have a case control study that estimates the disease burden in children and adolescents who survive serogroup B meningococcal disease. And finally, we have the Time to Stop study, which looks at the timing of anti-epileptic drug withdrawal and long-term seizure outcome after paediatric epilepsy surgery. And we have four reviews, all of them are on epilepsy. The first one, as you mentioned, is on the adverse effects of anti-epileptic drugs. We also have one on the teratogenic effects of anti-epileptic drugs. We have a review on the impaired consciousness in epilepsy. And we have a personal view on the clinical trials for therapeutic assessment of anti-epileptic drugs. Many thanks, Stephen. And now for this month's focus, a review concerning the adverse effects of anti-epileptic drugs. My name is Frank Gillum. I'm the Director of Neurology at the Geisinger Health System in central Pennsylvania and uh, have been doing health outcomes research in epilepsy for the past 20 years. Dr. Gillum, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. We're talking about adverse effects, and often we talk in terms of adverse events. Is there a difference between the two? Thank you for the invitation to speak with you. Um, And it is an important distinction between effects and events. Uh, An effect is, uh, an an adverse effect is is a negative experience or outcome of a medication uh, that can be uh, directly attributed to the drug, and that can be defined by either seeing it worsen with increasing dosage or seeing it go away when the medication is discontinued and then repeat if there's a second challenge to the drug, and that defines an adverse effect. An adverse event is a, is a broader category, if you will, in that uh, the negative experience of the person taking the medication cannot be directly attributed to the drug. It may or may not be related to the drug. And that's more commonly discussed in the setting of clinical trials where uh, someone may develop symptoms uh, in a trial after starting a drug and it's not clear whether the uh, adverse experience is due to the drug or not and it's just classified as an event. So it's less specific uh, and may or may not be related to the drug. In the clinical trial setting, uh, you can differentiate events uh, from uh, effects uh, as a group by seeing what uh, the difference between the control group adverse events profile was versus the group that took the drug during the trial. So in a post-trial analysis, You could see the difference and then say, well, this symptom or this adverse experience was at a higher rate in the treatment group 
and that would make it an effect as opposed to an event. I understand. Thank you for, for making uh, that important clarification. That, that is clear. Thank you. And obviously within the field of epilepsy or anti-epileptics, anti-epileptic drugs, gosh, and some of them have been around a very long time, particularly phenobarbitone, treatment failure in anti-epileptics can be quite high, up to, up to 25%, can't it? So how are these anti-epileptic effects, how are they classified? And, and can you give us some examples of clinical manifestations of them? Yes, again, an important uh, topic, but also not straightforward or simple. And I say that because there are different types of classification systems used by different uh, areas of medicine. For example, uh, pathologists may use classifications very specific to, uh, for example, example, biopsies of the organ systems involved. Pharmacologists may use uh, classification systems specific to pharmacokinetics and measurable effects of the drugs. So you'll see different classification systems as you look at uh, discussions of adverse effects of drugs. But in our paper, uh, we use a, a sort of practical approach that's recommended by the World Health Organization, and we modify that uh, for uh, adapted for optimal clinical relevance, and I'll briefly go through the way uh, we've used that WHO classification. Type A are uh, a more acute or early treatment effects that um, are usually related to the dose and are commonly uh, associated with the drug so that we can say that these side effects are uh, known to occur with the drug. And the common examples of that are drowsiness, uh, sleepiness, tiredness, or fatigue, and dizziness uh, with many of the antiepileptic drugs. Uh, as you mentioned, for drowsiness and tiredness, uh, phenobarbital was uh, one of the early examples of drugs that had relatively high rates of that side effect. Type B are more uh, acute uh, idiopathic or, or uh, individual vulnerability-related adverse effects. And a classic example of this is a medication rash. Uh, there are uh, others such as hepatic toxicity or uh, blood changes from bone marrow suppression from a drug. And uh, I'll speak about the skin rash because it, it's more common than any other type B uh, effect and has uh, had a growing understanding of its specific relationships to immunologic predisposition in recent studies. And for example, uh, it was recently identified that a specific human leukocyte antigen, or what we call an HLA antigen, uh, specifically called B1502, was associated with an increased risk of a severe rash that we classify as Stevens-Johnson syndrome in Asian persons or people of Asian descent uh, who were treated with carbamazepine. So it seems there's an immunological predisposition of some people to have the severe drug rash with uh, specific drugs such as carbamazepine. And the FDA in the United States uh, a few years ago made a, an alert recommending that persons of Asian descent be tested before using carbamazepine. Uh, from a practical standpoint, because of the 
a large number of newer anti-epileptic drugs, um, uh, more than 12 new ones in the past 15 years in most uh, uh, countries in the world. We really don't have to use carbamazepine if we don't want to. So uh, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it was a first-line drug. So I think we would probably not choose carbamazepine in persons of Asian descent as a first drug, practically speaking. So the next type of, uh, if, of adverse effect, type C, is a more of a chronic cumulative effect of the drug after uh, taking it for months to years. And examples of that are weight gain, which can happen with uh, multiple drugs, but uh, classically was uh, higher association with valproate or valproic acid. Other examples are bone mineral density loss or osteoporosis that occurs over many years of taking the drug, um, presumably related to altered vitamin D metabolism and um, and bone turnover effects. Type D are uh, prenatal exposure of the drug resulting in birth defects. A lot of attention given to that through large drug registries, both in Europe and the United States, over the past five to 10 years. And uh, what has been published uh, recently is it appears that valproic acid or valproate has the highest rate of significant birth defects or serious birth defects after prenatal exposure. Phenobarbital has also in the American registry been shown to have increased rates compared to other drugs. Type E, the final type of adverse effects we'll discuss, are really related to drug-drug interactions. And for example, if you add a hepatic enzyme-inducing drug such as phenytoin or phenobarbital, to someone who's taken warfarin as a blood thinner, the liver enzymes will increase so that the metabolism of warfarin or the clearance of warfarin increases. So there's actually less warfarin in the blood, but there's another type of interaction with warfarin uh, where the high protein binding of dilantin will displace the warfarin and actually increase its biological effect. So some of the interactions can be quite complex, but it's a very common consideration when patients are already on drugs or what we refer to as polytherapy or polypharmacy when we're adding an anti-epileptic drug. Thank you very much for the detail there. An obvious question really, can these anti-epileptic effects be prevented or can clinicians influence patients in such a way that you can actually offset some of them before they happen? Yes, you can affect them in a large proportion of patients with most of the drugs. And what we emphasize as a practical clinical approach is to start with the lowest reasonable dose you can and go as slowly as you can in a given clinical context. So, for example, if someone's only had you know, two seizures over the past uh, six months, and at the time of their second seizure, it's felt that it's uh, warranted to begin therapy. Most neurologists um, would recommend starting at a low dose and gradually building up over weeks to the target dose to minimize especially the type A effects, uh, which would be dizziness, tiredness, and sleepiness. Um, because we know that starting on a high dose right away increases the rate of those types of uh, adverse effects. Uh, but also, uh, 
other types of effects can be decreased by starting slow and going slow. For example, the rash associated with lamotrigine and some other drugs has uh, uh, been shown de definitely to be reduced by going at a slower titration rate. So I emphasize uh, low and slow seems to be the motto uh, to minimize the side effects. I had mentioned earlier also that there are specific situations where we can actually do genetic screening or genetic predisposition, such as the HLA-1502 antigen, to identify persons who may be at increased risk of a rash with carbamazepine, especially in persons of Asian descent, as we uh, mentioned. Um, there are emerging other HLA antigens uh, that uh, may be associated with the increased risk of rash, such as A3101. Um, and uh, that uh, routine clinical screening uh, for every related potential antigen is not uh, practical at this point, but we anticipate um, as additional research occurs, we will be able to identify ways to, uh, to um, identify and prevent uh, these adverse effects in people at increased risk. Um, the uh, uh, other way to prevent some adverse effects if people are on far polypharmacy are to not use drugs that have high propensity to drug-drug interactions. For example, uh, not using uh, drugs that have hepatic enzyme induction, what we call a P450 system induction, uh, for people that are on drugs like warfarin or blood thinners or other uh, potentially dangerous drugs. Uh, some drugs, such as levetiracetam, have a very low induction of hepatic enzymes and have minimal drug-drug drug interactions that uh, allow us to safely use anti-epileptic drugs in the setting of polypharmacy. Dr. Gillen, can you tell us about uh, uh, the anti epileptic effects in children, how they contrast with adults, and also comment on any other specific uh, populations that might be at uh, increased risk of uh, having anti-epileptic effects. Yes, it's, it's certainly clear at this point that uh, certain populations are at increased risk of some types of adverse effects. Children have higher rates of rash, for example, and we need to be uh, careful in trying to start low and go slow whenever possible. Children also have higher rates of hepatic toxicity related to valproate. And in children uh, under uh, two and probably five years of age who have other metabolic irregularities or uh, certain types of neurological conditions related to encephalopathies may be at even higher risk. So certain drugs such as valproate should be used very carefully in that clinical setting. Senior adults are also have increased rates of rash and uh, are more sensitive to the type A side effects such as dizziness and tiredness and should usually start at a lower target dose to prevent uh, those types of, uh, of effects and again, go as slow as possible. Um, the uh, um, uh, choice of drug is also important because, and I won't go into the details of this, but some drugs have been shown to have different uh, ad, uh, adverse effect profiles in senior adults than others. I would also just mention about children that uh, younger children uh, 
have a more difficult time uh, clearly in describing their adverse effects. So sometimes dizziness or tiredness may present itself as behavior problem. And I think we have to be careful in the way we interpret the symptoms in a young child in order to uh, make sure we've connected the association with the drug appropriately. And finally, Dr. Gillum, in relation to your your last points about these groups at, at increased risk, how does that influence, do you think, the future research agenda? What needs to be done in research terms to, to better understand these people at highest risk so we can actually get that risk reduced? Thank you for the question regarding research because I think it's very important. It's remarkable when you look at the history of drug of anti-epileptic drug development worldwide, how little attention has been given to adverse effects. And similarly, uh, in the approach to mo- uh, identifying them and monitoring them, So I would say that there needs to be additional research in the optimal methods to identify and monitor them in the clinical setting. There are a few instruments available that can be easily used by a clinician in the clinic setting, but they're not perfect yet, and I think we need to continue to improve them and also obtain the evidence to define for clinicians the value of the systematic monitoring and, uh, and identification. There's also the issue of increasing our understanding of predisposition, such as the HLA antigens uh, and specific populations that are at risk of specific adverse effects. So that needs to be a highlighted ongoing research effort by uh, clinical investigators and, and basic scientists collaborating worldwide. The third area I would emphasize is specifically related to pharmacology and the development of new compounds because we focused on the anti-epileptic effect or mechanism of new drugs in development processes. But I think we could similarly focus on identifying uh, specific aspects of the compounds that cause uh, or are related to the adverse side effects, because there's the potential that we could develop compounds that would have the anti-epileptic effect without a specific side effect, such as dizziness or uh, tiredness that would make a drug more effective in the clinic setting. It's a really important and I think often overlooked area, so it's fascinating to to discuss it. Just to say, Dr. Frank Gillam, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. And everyone listening, do please look at Dr. Gillam's review in the September issue of The Lancet Neurology. Dr. Gillam, many thanks indeed. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, many thanks indeed to Dr. Frank Gillam and to you all for listening. See you next month.